Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I am chatting with Dr. Alina Fong of Cognitive FX about anxiety and depression after brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Minnesota Functional Neurology, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in Minnesota. They have greatly helped me and many others in the Twin Cities. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zellmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who don't know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, and I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council, and I recently launched my newest Kickstarter for my new book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury. You can find out more about my Kickstarter and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. And be sure to check out the Brain Health Academy that I've co-created with Sue Wilson of CTE Hope while you're there. And also, please be sure to save the date for our next Brain Health Online Summit that will be happening this March in conjunction with Brain Injury Awareness Month. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And today my guest is Dr. Alina Fong from Cognitive FX. Dr. Fong received her PhD in clinical neuropsychology with an emphasis in neuroradiology from Brigham Young University. Her interest in brain mapping soon turned to functional MRI, and since then, her research efforts have been focused on the clinical applications of fMRI. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Fong. I'm so happy to have you here again. My pleasure. Thank you, Amy. Wonderful. I'm so happy you're here. And um, if you listening have not heard her first podcast, be sure to check that out. She was on, I believe you were on maybe like last September. Um, And it was a wonderful podcast. We had lots of great feedback on it. So I'm super happy to have you here again. And today we're talking about depression and anxiety after brain injury. And, you know, these are some of the most common things that I think every brain injury survivor goes through. And no matter how mild or severe it is, I think every one of us has gone through some form of anxiety or depression. And I know for myself, I didn't realize I was having anxiety at first even um, until my psychologist or until my doctor pointed it out and sent me to a psychologist. So I think it's a really great topic for us to be talking about. It's very timely, and I think we're going to help a lot of our listeners today. Um, But first, 
Dr. Fong, I would love to have you just kind of give us your background and how you came to be working with brain injury patients. Sure. So I have worked for 13 years for Intermountain Healthcare, which is a uh, it is the largest healthcare system in Utah. Um, and I actually started off in neurotrauma rehab, so working with more severe and moderate TBIs. Uh, my work then transitioned to more of the concussion realm uh, about seven and a half, almost eight years ago, when uh, my partner, Dr. Jim Snyder, um, as well as another partner, uh, Dr. Brent Rich, started to create acute concussion clinics uh, here in Utah Valley. Uh, and I just naturally transitioned. Now, simultaneously with this, um, I was developing uh, the functional MRI protocols with my, uh, my other research partner, Dr. Mark Allen, uh, who's a PhD neuroscientist. And we started to understand that because concussions look, quote-unquote, so normal uh, in every other type of imaging, there needed to be another type of objective measurement that showed changes um, in cognitive function. Uh, and it just so happened that this functional MRI tool that we've, that we've adapted allows us to see real objective changes when everything else looks normal. You know, and I think you just hit on our segue. <laughs> um, you know, so many people have a CT or um, a regular standard MRI. I know I had a standard MRI about eight weeks after my fall. Um, and, you know, it, it doesn't show anything typically unless you truly have a damage or you have a bleed. Um, but, it, you know, a pretty typical brain injury doesn't show on an MRI. And can you kind of explain why that is? Sure. So let me qualify. Uh, uh, in order for concussion to really be called a concussion, it's actually supposed to look normal on structural imaging. So CT and MRI should, should look like a normal brain that's actually never been concussed. Now, that's a challenge, right? Because, well, then how else do you, how else do you diagnose it, right? Um, and you're right. This is a perfect segue because the problem there is that if everything starts to look normal, right, and that's actually part of the, 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 the diagnostic piece of, of concussion, how then do you prove or how, how then can a doctor really tell if you're still concussed? Well, then we start relying as clinicians on personal reports, so self-report. So the patient still says, well, I'm still not doing well. And, you know, I'm, I can't think and I can't work like I used to. I can't function like I used to. I don't want to talk to friends. I don't want to have, you know, social interactions anymore. And there's a lot of reasons why that can be, but guess what? At that point, these symptoms start to overlap with other conditions like depression and anxiety. So in the absence of structural findings, at some point, a clinician is kind of led to, to go down that depression and anxiety path, when in reality, what our research is finding, Amy, is that that anxiety depression is just part and parcel of the symptomology of concussion rather than its own thing. 
And, you know, and it's been told, it's been explained to me by several doctors, um, but the anxiety, you know, kind of comes from our fight or flight reflex. Um, is that the sympathetic nervous system? Um, I always get those ones confused. Um, and that's kind of a result of, you know, when we have a concussion brain injury, you know, we kind of are, we're always a little bit dizzy. We, our bodies kind of don't know where we are in space and, and, you know, like we're protective of our bodies. We've kind of put the shell around ourselves because we don't want to hit our head again. And that's kind of what creates those feelings of anxiety. And like I said, I didn't even realize that I was like, I knew something wasn't okay. My heart was racing. I was like always kind of anxious, but I didn't know that I was actually having anxiety because I'd never really had it before. And when someone started explaining that to me, I was like, oh, this all kind of makes sense. Um, You know, does that kind of compare to your thoughts? Absolutely. And um, I'm going to, I want to take it a step further. So, so there's actually um, a physiological basis um, like you alluded to with the fight or flight with the anxiety uh, and depression, but then you compound that now with, let's say you've been struggling with these symptoms for months, but everyone else is telling you, mm, no, you look okay, just give it a little bit of time, mm-hmm. you should be back to, you should be normal, you know, but then you yourself know that there's something not right. That in itself can cause a lot more anxiety and, and more depression and more worry and, and self-doubt. Um, and so that's why with concussion, Amy, you're going to find that a lot of patients have both the anxiety and the depression together because it's, it's uh, very common to have those feelings of questioning your self-worth, um, uh, self-doubt, uh, not to mention this, con- this event that most of the time was out of their control, okay, so this concussion event that changed their life dramatically was out of their control, and so you have a lot of feelings of helplessness, hopelessness, um, just, you know, not, not wanting to, to engage in what you used to like to do. So, but herein lies a dilemma because so many of the patients that come to me, Amy, are now on antidepressants and they're on anti-anxiety medications. And what a lot of your listeners need to understand is that in most cases, if they did not have a pre-morbid or pre-concussion diagnosis, of anxiety or depression, then the medications that they're being put on are not likely going to help them. And in fact, most of my patients come to me, and when I say, I'm going to try to get you off all, this, all these meds, it's a huge sigh of relief because they say, well, yeah, it really wasn't doing much anyway. And then to take it one step further, Amy, if you were to possibly look at the common side effects of these medications, they mimic the concussion symptoms that I'm trying to get rid of. And that therein lies the rub. Right. <laughs> you know, and I think you just kind of hit it all right on the head for me, Dr. Fong. You know, um, this cycle of the anxiety and the depression, and you know, this. If if you didn't have it before your injury, it's it's not that you're like clinically depressed now. It's it's just a symptom of the concussion. And I know in my experience, I, I think I shared this last time we chatted, 
but I had the neuropsychological exam done and the doctor meeting with me just one time wanted to put me on Ritalin, antidepressants, Mm -hmm. and sleeping pills. And Mm -hmm. I like instinctively knew that this wasn't going to help me. I was about 15 months into my recovery and I declined and she tried pushing pretty hard (laughs) and I declined because I was, and I told her, if I didn't feel better in six months, I'd come back. I just kind of said that to appease her because she was pushing really hard. And uh-huh. I was like, okay, why would I put chemicals into my body that are meant to alter my brain when I'm trying to heal my brain? Like, it just didn't make sense to me. And I have a really dear friend with a brain injury. And we went through, because she didn't even really know all the meds she was on. She's on five different meds. She was actually on two separate antidepressants. And I was like, wow, like, what is going on here, you know? Um, and mm-hmm. none of her doctors want to take her off of it. And it's so frustrating because you can't just quit these things cold turkey. Um, so I'm, I'm just glad that you're willing to talk about this and share this with our listeners because I think this is a huge epidemic. And, you know, for some people, they truly do need these medicines. Um, you know, it really does help them. But I just knew in my case that it wasn't going to help me, and I knew it would make me feel almost worse. Because like you said, exactly. it, it, can, it, it can cause the other symptoms. And, and that, that is one thing to make sure that we point out. I am by no means advocating to your listeners to stop any of these medications cold turkey <laughs> um, because the, the reason why I'm able to help my patients or most of my patients get off some of these meds is because we do it safely and we do it in conjunction with our therapies as well. Um, So I just want to reiterate that I'm not telling anyone to just get off their meds. But what I am advocating is um, a deeper understanding of the medications they are putting into their body. Um, You know, and I – there are some of us that, you know, we're just great patients and we do what our doctor tells us because we know – we know that they have our best interests at heart. But we can be a bit more informed and look at the side effects and see, you know, um, how they might be affecting us. And oftentimes there are other medications that we're prescribed to try to just counteract the side effects of the medications that we're on. So, for example, <laughs> the, reason why, you know, the reason why a lot of my patients are also on a stimulant like Ritalin or like Vyvanse is because a lot of the medications that they're on and the concussion itself can make them feel slow and dull and tired. Well, then Ritalin can help counteract that. So we're just taking meds to counteract other meds. Now, with that being said, though, I I do have to say that I am not by any means disparaging these clinicians like I am that are out in the trenches, you know, trying to, uh, the first line of defense and trying to help patients like you. I think that we're all doing the best we can. Uh, but I do believe that um, prescribing and 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 treating anxiety and depression is a, is a lot easier than trying to treat post concussion disorder, post concussion syndrome. And I also want to touch on apathy because I think so many doctors aren't aware of what apathy is. And I don't necessarily mean psychologists when I say this. I mean, when you go to your primary care physician, they they just think you're depressed. They don't understand apathy, which apathy is like a true neurological condition where you just don't have Mm -hmm. motivation and a desire. 
And that's not the mm-hmm. same as depression. Um, and I know I did not know that um, until I actually heard Dr. Mario Dule talk about that at a conference. Um, you know, and and do you do you see that being a similar problem um, in in the healthcare profession? Yeah, I do, especially because apathy is just you know one clinical correlate of depression. Okay, it's it's not in and of itself depression. Um, and there also needs to be an understanding of a difference between a- apathy and anhedonia. Um, anhedonia is a term for not not engaging in things or not enjoying things that you used to like to do, you know. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times your basic physician isn't as aware of the subtle differences between the two. And, and unfortunately, apathy, anhedonia, um, those can also be contributed to executive function disorders, um, which can be then attributed to, to, you know, possibly a brain injury as well. Um, but because of the overlap, it can be somewhat difficult to really extricate or piece apart what goes where and what was caused from what. Um, but, yeah, there, there is definitely a difference um, a lot of the times I see with my patients more of this, uh, they describe it to me as I just don't like doing what I used to do. I don't like um, mm. going out with my friends, right? I don't like interacting with people. But when I drill down, Amy, and I'm really trying to, to figure out what the basis of that is, oftentimes they say, well, I don't like to feel stupid in front of people. I can't find my words anymore, Aww. so I don't even like to talk yeah. to people, right? And and I just don't feel like myself, and so then I just start to re- to to become more reclusive, which again can look like depression. <laughs> yeah. Excuse me. So, um, you know, it, it is it is kind of a quagmire that a lot of drooling down uh, needs to occur because. If someone isn't engaging in social situations because they don't feel like they're themselves, is that necessarily depression, or is that uh, more more symptomology and correlate of this concussion again? You know, and and that's such a great point. You know, and it's so unfortunate that that some of us feel that way. And I think some of it also. I know for me, a lot of not wanting to go out, like say, go out to dinner with a group of friends it was just way too much overstimulation. Um, I would much prefer to be one-on-one with someone like in my home. Right. Because it was, you know, it was still a challenge, but it was a lot easier. We're going out to a crowded restaurant with lots of noise and lights. Um, that can really set you back a couple of days. It takes two, three days to recover from that. And um, I also wanted to touch back, you know, on the anxiety part of it. And I think so many of us are afraid of hitting our head again. And I know for me that yeah. took a really long time to get out of that. Um, I'd say it took me probably like two and a half, three years. Um, and I still, you know, I'm very cautious walking on ice because, you know, I slipped on ice and that's how I ended up on my head. Um, and so I'm still like really panicky around ice. But so many of us are just so scared of hurting our head again because we don't want to like go backwards. Yeah, and in fact, that also reminds me of this whole misdiagnosis because if you are, if you do not desire to go out in social situations again or don't like to go to movies or, or 
concerts, things that you used to enjoy because of the overstimulation piece, if that isn't really addressed, that could almost seem like social anxiety or that could seem like a, another right. type of anxiety disorder, right? When, again, it is uh, just how you're trying to deal, how your brain is trying to deal with a concussion. Um, and then your, your, your second point, um, there's always, almost always, almost post-traumatic flavor to it. Usually not enough to have full-blown post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Um, I, I don't typically see that um, in my typical patient. But to have that maybe just stress with association of loss of, of your life and that helplessness again um, can, can be really, really scary. And just the thought of, uh, you know, not, not wanting to drive past the same place where you had that accident or not wanting to go ice skating ever again or, you know, these might be things that you really enjoyed doing before that now really affect you in a psychological way um, that can also be contributing to how you're feeling. Yeah, I mean, it's very common to feel that way, Amy. You know, and I think, you know, there, so, okay, I know what I'm trying to say. I'm stumbling for my words here. So, so often after a concussion or brain injury, you know, even if we haven't been diagnosed yet, like we know what's going on. Like we're pretty sure we have a brain injury, but maybe, you know, it hasn't been officially diagnosed. And we're typically going like to our general practitioner or maybe even we go to see the neurologist, but they're not trained in, well, maybe they're trained, but I know what I'm trying to say here. I'm not trying to disrespect anyone, but like they're Mm -hmm. not trained to drill down and get to the further problems. And I think that's why so many doctors just are like, oh, I think you're depressed. Here's some antidepressants. You know, they've, and they don't have the time, you know, where when you meet with a psychologist, typically of an hour long meeting, where when you go to your general practitioner, you have like 15 minutes maybe with them. And so we're not able to drill down. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my point here is how do you find someone who is more officially trained in working with TBI brain injury patients? Um, that is an excellent question, and actually, let, if I could just back up real quick um, yes, and reiterate what, what you said, which is yes, we're not disparaging these, uh, you know, the, these clinicians that are in the trenches doing the best they can, um, and you know, you're right. Time constraints, insurance issues, you know, these are all factors as to why we don't get to spend as much time, you know, as we'd like um, with every patient that we can see. Okay, so again. We're all trying to do the best we can, and, and we respect that. Um, one thing that I want to make completely and totally clear is that if you are suicidal or if you feel like you are at risk for hurting yourself or hurting others, please, please do not get off your medications. Um, you know, that, that is something that, that, need, that is serious and needs to be addressed. Um, however, if you, like we said before, Never, it was never diagnosed with anxiety or depression. You just don't have that history. You know for a fact that things change dramatically after the concussion. What to do? I think that you should probably talk to your own doctor, okay, um, about getting off of it and, and weaning off and seeing if there's some other things that you could do to help your mood um, and, and without the use of medications. Because in, in general, 
if you were relatively healthy beforehand, psychologically, physically, then you could get back there without the use of meds. Now, to help you do that would be to to find a neuropsychologist um, that is trained specifically with concussion. And, of course, not, not all of them are are created equally either. Um, but your best bet is to find a sports medicine clinic that has a neuropsychology uh, uh, discipline uh, housed there because usually they're going to be more mindful of the, dis of the disparity or the variation between some of these symptoms. Um, and so just asking, calling around, asking, do you have a neuropsychologist on staff? Can I see that, that doctor? Because as you said, Amy, we are able to speak and meet with you for at least 30 minutes to, to an hour and drill down and see what you really need. Um, ideally, you know, I would love for them to come see me, uh, you know, of course, just because we have the imaging ability to help us. We have a one-week boot camp, I mean, that, that we can deal with all these issues, but, you know, um, we, can't, we can't take everybody. So, you know, try locally first, and if you can't find someone there, then call my clinic, and, and we'll see if we can find your resources near you. Uh, and if not, then, you know, we may be able to have you come down to us. Yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, I just, I just appreciate you talking so candidly about all of this because I know a lot of times people don't like to talk about the meds and, you know, how mm -hmm. they can adversely affect us. And, you know, mm -hmm. like you said earlier on in the conversation, some of these medications, their side effects um, um, enhance the symptoms we already have, and that is not what we want to do. Um, so I encourage anyone who is on meds to, you know, if you don't, if you don't think you should still be on them, talk to your doctor or, or find a new doctor, someone who might be able to help you. Um, and obviously don't just stop taking your meds, as Dr. Fong says. We don't want you to do that. Um, <laughs> that's not absolutely not. Here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. There are safe ways. There are safe ways to get off your medications. Um, and, again, this might not be the, the right answer for everyone. I'm just speaking mm -hmm. from my personal experience, Amy, there is a there are a vast majority of my patients that come to me over medicated, and they will they will admit to me that um, that their doctors have just tried everything and they just don't know what else to do, so they're trying these meds to see if these will yeah. work. Um, you yeah. know, and again, they're, they're doing the best they can, but there are other things that they can do. So, for example. Um, one of the things that I really encourage people to do if, if getting off their meds is important to them is exercise. Even if it's just walking around the block, get out of your house, get out, get fresh air, get some sunlight. It's kind of hard for the East, uh, East Coasters to do that right now. I, I get that. Um, but, you know, <laughs> just getting your heart pumping, you know, getting your heart pumping, get, getting blood to your brain um, is, and, and, and to the rest of your body is going to feel good. Um, Sleeping uh, well is important. Um, making sure that you are cognitively exerting yourself or, you know, working on things because the worst thing you could do is just do nothing, okay? So um, getting out, getting physical, eating well, uh, those are some of the basic things that, that can help uh, in the interim um, before finding a, a, another specialist that can help you. 
Yeah, and and just know you're not alone. Like, if I know in that first year before I found any resources, that first year I was like so afraid of my symptoms. I didn't know what was happening to me. I felt very isolated and alone. And just know you're not alone. You know, these symptoms, this anxiety and depression, it's not at all uncommon. And it will get better. Um, I know, like I said, it took me a good two and a half, three years to get to where I felt I had a handle on all of it. Um, so, uh-huh. you know, we're almost out of time, Dr. Fong, but is there anything we did oh. not touch on that you would like to make sure we covered? No, um, the, the only thing that, that I'd like to, to also bring up just really quickly is um, uh, the whole ADHD spectrum. And maybe we can talk about that at mm. some other point. Mm-hmm. But similarly, so many of my patients are also getting misdiagnosed with attention deficit disorders and being medicated for that in yes. a very similar way that they're, they're being diagnosed with anxiety and depression. So, um, you know, just you know you and you know when something's really wrong and just trust your instincts. Yes, and I so agree with that. You know, like I said, I knew something. I knew I wasn't okay. I knew I had a brain injury, but I couldn't find uh-huh. doctors to really believe me because, um, you know, I was walking, I was talking, and I could dress myself. <laughs> I have to laugh because my 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 neurologist and the neuropsychologist, both their notes um, state that I was dressed very nicely, and I literally had on yoga pants and a sweatshirt. I went in. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, but maybe there are anyway, I digress. So, so. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Dr. Fong, thank you so, so much for being here. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. And I just, you know, it's so enlightening. And you have such a way of just really simplifying it. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Amy. Thank you all for listening. I really hope that you have gotten some golden nuggets today from Dr. Fong. I know I always am enlightened by her wisdom. Um, And so just, you know, be sure to share the episode and share it with your friends and family and, you know, even share it with your doctor. It's okay. You know, they don't know everything and that's okay. We don't expect them to know everything. So anyway, thank you all so much for being a part of my journey. Another big thank you to Minnesota Functional Neurology for being our sponsor. Find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. And be sure to check out facesoftbi.com for any previous episodes. And follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Amy Zellmer. So thank you all for being a part of my journey. And I will see you all again next time. Have a great day, everyone.